listening to the place for biblical end times truth, the Remnant Report. I am your host, the Remnant Warrior. Here, we are dedicated to equipping the Remnant for the tribulation that must shortly come to pass, as well as reaching the lost at any cost. The time is near us to not love our lives even unto Thursday night again, people. I am so, so very thankful to be back tonight and to be over the sickness that kept me from being here for the past two weeks. I also, man, I just want to say thank you to all of you for your prayers, as well as your emails and instant messages telling me to get well soon. That meant the world to me. I truly am thankful for every one of my listeners. Um, What I do here would not be possible without you guys, and I just want to tell you thank you so much for listening, and even though you may not agree with everything that I say, I am so thankful that I have an audience that sticks with the program and hears the truth and prays about what they hear and searches the scripture and allows the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to them because you know there are a lot of people inside mainstream Christianity I was one of them for a long time who were so dogmatic in their theology the way that they were raised and taught that they won't They do not have an open mind, and they will not hear anything else. I was like that for a long time, and the the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, opened my eyes to a lot of the the problems inside the church and the problems with the theology that I had, as well as the eschatology that I had, and I had to take a good look at why I believed what I believed and I had to go back into the word and study the scriptures um, like I like it was the first time I had ever read the Bible and I had to allow scripture to interpret scripture and let the Holy Spirit interpret the word of God because um, although I am a a minister, and I thank God for the godly pastors and ministers of this world. Um, none of us as Christians, as believers, need a man to tell us um, what to believe and what the Bible says. Uh, we can read it for ourselves 
And all we truly need is the Holy Spirit to interpret the Word of God to us. But, anyway, um, I will stop ranting and get back to the program and tonight's subject. And for the past few weeks, we've been doing a series called Paganizing Christianity. And the first two episodes in the series were about the pagan origins of the so-called Christian holidays of Christmas and Easter and how they came into the Christian church. But tonight, we are going to focus on the church itself. I'm going to briefly cover the beginning of the church up to about the mid-third century when... um, the, the changes that took place inside the church, the paganizing of Christianity, the merging of paganism and Christianity happened. That, that happened in the mid-third century. Um, and tonight we're going to talk about Easter and Christmas only in the way that it that concerns the the first Catholic merging of the Catholics merging the pagan festivals and practices with Christianity. Um, we're going to look at church history to see when what I call the paganizing of Christianity started. And then we're going to see how much of it is still going on in the church today. We're also going to talk about the so-called Christian movements of today that really came from the same place that merged the pagan practices with Christianity to begin with. Or, at the very least, they are aligned with... um, the Roman Catholic Church, which is who merged the pagan practices with Christianity in the early church to begin with. But before I begin, I feel like I need to reiterate something that I said in part one of this series, and that is that, first and foremost, this is not about me, guys. So... Before anyone tries to put me inside of a box that allows you to ignore what I have said and what I am going to say, please understand that none of the things that some of you may want to characterize me as are true. Guys, I am not a Jehovah's Witness. I'm not a Mormon or a Seventh-day Adventist. I'm not a part of the Hebrew Roots or any sacred name movement, and neither am I a part of any denomination any longer. Although I used to be a member of the Southern Baptist Association until the Holy Spirit convicted my heart, and I left the... Southern Baptist Association because of their stance on the cult of Freemasonry. 
among other things. And um, the the Southern Baptist Association, the Southern Baptist Convention, it has the the highest number of Freemason pastors in the entire country. It has more Freemason members, deacons, and pastors than any other denomination and any other church, non-denominational. And because of that, and also because of some of the theology in the the Southern Baptist Church, I I had to um, I had to leave, and um, I didn't want to to break fellowship with the church that I was in because the church that I was in, even though it was a part of the Southern Baptist Association, um, it. It was it was not a church that was full of of masons. Um, to my knowledge, there were no masons. Um, the pastor of the church that I was going to um, he is a friend, a lifelong friend, and has been a mentor to me my entire life. And he's a wonderful man of God. He was one of three pastors who spoke at my ordination ceremony. And, um, you know, I was ordained in a Southern Baptist church. But, like I said, um, I had to to withdraw from the Southern Baptist Association and uh, not very long ago, the beginning of this year, the beginning of 2019, I actually, um, I was going to, to go be the head pastor at uh, Southern Baptist Church um, in the low country of South Carolina and I mean, I, I was fixing to, to take the position. I had already, um, I had preached at the church and I liked the people. Um, they received uh, me and my family very well. Um, they they wanted me to, to come and, and, and be the pastor of the church and I was, I was almost ready to do it. Um, and this was after uh, my eyes began to be opened to the truths and the things that were going on inside the church and it was it was very tempting to take that position it would have been um, you know I, I was newly ordained and you know I, I had a, at that time I had only been ordained um, since uh, mid-2018, so uh, almost a year, and it was very hard for me not to accept that position. Um, there was a parsonage, a nice parsonage, and it, it, it would have been 
steady income. It was a decent sized church that um, would could have afforded to pay me fairly well. So my family would have been taken care of and I would have had the opportunity to, um, you know, preach the gospel and teach a lot of people the truth. But I, I, I almost knew for sure that the minute I started preaching the truth in a Southern Baptist church, and the truth would have definitely gone against their doctrine and theology and what they were used to hearing. Um, you know, my welcome would have been worn out very, very fast. And that, that was the last thing I wanted. And I could not, in good conscience, stand up and preach something I did not believe. Now, had this been... <laughs> Three years ago, um, although I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't ordained three years ago. But if it had been, um, I would have had no problem getting up there and uh, preaching the the dispensational uh, pre-trib rapture uh, doctrine of the the Southern Baptist Church. But you know, through reading scripture and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, um, I realized that none of that doctrine is, is scripturally sound. And because of that, I had to um, really start over in my study of the Word, the Holy Spirit kept um, it kept putting the same question in my mind, and that is, why do you believe the way you believe? That was what kept, that was the question that kept coming into my mind. And I realized that I believed um, the way that I believed because although I had read the Bible uh, from cover to cover, many times, every time I studied the Word, I studied it through the lens of the theology that I was taught growing up, as well as the theology that I learned in seminary. And guys, other than Hebrew and Greek, I do not, I mean, nothing that I learned in seminary is anything that I still believe in. And a lot of it I didn't believe then. Um, unfortunately, the seminaries today, they teach all kind of heresies. Um, like the, a lot of them, especially the one I went to, which I'm not going to say on the air, but, you know, they, uh, they were against preaching on hell and... They, they taught that a loving God would not um, condemn anyone to hell. And they also, they taught the pastors a very watered-down gospel. So if any of the pastors 
myself included, would have been weak-minded enough to be indoctrinated there, then we would have gone and out into the churches that um, we would eventually pastor, and we would have preached that same watered-down doctrine and that feel-good doctrine, which is pretty much all you hear in your mainstream churches. It doesn't matter what denomination they are. But... Um, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna stop ranting and I'm gonna get back to to the subject tonight. I'm gonna get back on topic, but I, I did feel a very strong need to to let everyone know in case they did not hear the first episode that I am not a part of any of these movements and I'm not any of these things that people sometimes like to characterize me as so that they don't have to listen to what I'm saying. But the truth is that I am simply a believer and a follower of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, or as I like to call him, Yeshua, which is simply his Hebrew name. You know, I believe in salvation by grace, through faith in Christ alone. And I no longer believe in any separation of the gospel, which is why I'm not a part of any other denomination. When I left the Southern Baptist Association, I didn't go look for another denomination. Um, and that is simply because there is only one true church. And as Christians, we are all a part of it. The body of Christ is the church. And guys, like I said, I'm sorry, but I felt like I needed to make all of that clear in case anyone listening now did not hear part one. But now that I have, um, you know, we can jump right into tonight's topic. And in order to understand and be able to recognize the things that are pagan or new age that are inside of the church today, we have to look at what Jesus told the disciples to do between his resurrection and ascension, as well as the things that the first and second century church did, like how and when they worshipped, what they believed and festivals and celebrations that they had as well as the days that they considered holy and then we need to see when these things changed and why did they change and who changed them and as followers of Yeshua it is important that we learn where we came from in order to understand where the church went wrong because if we can understand their mistakes, then we can learn from them. I mean, this is hard to believe, especially in 2019, but even today there is a lot of anti-Semitism. And there's a lot of it even in the mainstream church today. And a lot of it stems from the belief that because the Jewish leaders had Christ crucified and 
a lot of the books in the New Testament were written to churches in Gentile cities that, because of that, I mean, and the churches were named after these cities, um, there's a belief that the Jew, all Jews in, the, in those days hated Jesus and hated Christians. And the church was mostly Gentile. But what we need to understand is that although a lot of churches were started in Gentile cities, the first followers of Christ were Jews. And the first century church was largely Jewish. The first Christians were Jewish converts from Judaism. Just like Jews and people from other religions today who convert to Christianity and find Yeshua, they find out that with following Christ and becoming a Christian, it is about a relationship and not religion. You know, I was taught in seminary, as I was saying earlier, um, about the seminary I went to, and I was taught in seminary that the Christian church did not begin until the day of Pentecost. Now, I myself, I don't completely agree with this. You know, I don't disagree with it entirely, but I do believe that Christianity started with the ministry of Yeshua. You know, I know that there will be some that will disagree with me and say that until Christ died on the cross and rose again that nobody could be saved. But I submit to you that there has never ever been a greater teacher than our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Messiah, he was the only man that ever lived that had perfect theology. I mean, he was both 100% man and 100% God. I mean, can you imagine being taught by Yeshua himself? <laughs> that would be, that would just be amazing. I mean, wow. I mean, ah. Uh, also, though, if no one could have salvation until the crucifixion and resurrection, then nobody who died before Christ died and rose again went to heaven. I mean, that means that Moses and Elijah and King David or any of the prophets and men of God from the Old Testament and, or any of the multitudes that heard Christ teach and believed that he was the Messiah, if they happened to die and the saints of the Old Testament, when they died, they were just out of luck, right? Wrong. Because people who lived and died before Christ could obtain salvation too. The way that people could obtain salvation before Christ lived and died and rose again on the third day and then ascended to the right hand of the Father 40 days later, the way they could do that is almost the same way we obtain salvation today, and that is through faith. 
just like we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, before he came, people were saved through their faith in the coming of the Messiah. So even though the church celebrates its birth on Pentecost, I do hope you can understand and see why I don't completely agree with this. But, you know, whether the church started with the ministry of Christ or it started on the day of Pentecost, it still began around the same time. And Christianity began as a movement within Judaism. And as, as such, I mean... Much of the earliest preaching of the gospel, it took place inside the synagogues. But the Christians, they, the early Christians, they, they did not side with the Jews in their revolt against Rome that started in 66 AD. And then by the end of the first century, the church, for the most part, had largely separated from the synagogue. These early believers did not consider the church as a building. And they didn't even meet in buildings after leaving the synagogues. They met mostly in the homes of other believers, house churches. And, you know, the first church buildings, they didn't even appear until the early 200s. And the early Christians in the first and second century, man, this is one thing that they got absolutely right. And I wish we still were like this in the church today. Um, the early Christians, they... they did not at all have any denominations. They considered themselves to all be the body of Christ. They believed in debate, but not denominations. You know, I mean, they definitely had their disagreements within the ranks, but they did not believe in any separation of the gospel. And that is, that is pretty much where I'm at today. That is the way that I believe that the church should be. Instead of all these different denominations, I believe that the church should just be that, the church, the body of Christ. Because the church is not a building or a denomination. It is the people, the believers, the body of Christ. But the, the early church, they, they had their disagreements, and their disagreements led to serious debates because the Christians of the early church, they felt that they were dealing with matters of ultimate truth, and they did not want any error. These matters were taken with the utmost seriousness, man. I mean, even when it meant dissension in the church. And we have dissension in the church 
all the time today, but it's usually because of earthly matters, you know, uh, things that have nothing to do with Christianity. Um, churches usually split and have dissension over arguments about who is going to run things and people want uh, things to be done a certain way and people get angry with the pastor if he doesn't uh, do and say just what they think he should and you know that's petty that is the dissension of the church today it is petty and we don't realize just how good we have it as Christians today I mean especially here in America but the early Christians, man, they were the targets of repeated persecutions, of unspeakable cruelty. The Emperor Nero, he had believers torn to pieces by dogs, nailed to crosses, and, man, this evil man even used Christians as human torches to light his gardens at night. In the early church, there were two all-out persecutions intended to utterly destroy the church. And although that these persecutions and the the horrible um, suffering that the that the body of Christ had to endure in the first and second century even though it was done by men, we know what is behind it and who is behind it. And it's spiritual behind the physical. It is our enemy, Satan, who is behind these things. And these two all-out persecutions, um, they were intended to utterly destroy the church. The first of these persecutions was under the Emperor Decius, and everyone in the empire at that time had to get a certificate from a government officer um, verifying that he or she had offered a sacrifice to the pagan gods. And, man, that was something that most Christians in that time just would not do. And so they were killed. And martyred and you know I truly believe that um, we are coming to that time again um, especially here in America um, we have a president now um, that uh, whether you agree with him and his policies or not or like him or not or not he is the best option that there is um, and the the left the left wing parties they are pushing socialism and communism um, some of them openly and you know at the at the most uh, President Trump has got four more years at the most and you know a after after that one of these uh, liberal candidates are going to to become in power. They are going to become president. And that is that is 
when the socialist agenda will uh, it will be implemented in the United States and we will suffer the same way that the church suffers in other socialist communist countries like communist China um, I mean, it's coming to America folks and especially the end times church you know that that is one of the the horrible lies of the doctrine of not only the Baptist church but a lot of mainstream evangelical churches and that is this pre-trib rapture belief that the Christians are that they're just going to be secretly taken up to heaven and they're not going to have to uh, be here they're going to be saved from the tribulation and that's just not true and it's not scriptural and I hate that a lot of my brothers and sisters have been deceived by this and I was deceived by this and I stood in the pulpit and preached this myself I preached this doctrine before I knew the truth and before the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and I read the scripture for myself and saw that it's nowhere in the Bible um, we we are the the remnant we are going to be the tribulation saints um, that's all there is to it and if believers if they think that they're gonna be raptured and they're not gonna have to suffer these things then when the time comes and the man of sin is revealed and the persecution of the church starts, then it's going to take them by surprise and I think it's going to cause some of them to be deceived. The Bible says that even the very elect will be deceived if it were possible. And I think that this is why. Um, you know, when you look at this... You have to research where these things come from, and uh, the the preterist view, as well as the the original futurist view, and the the pre-trib rapture view, um, that that was a, a doctrine that was created by Jesuits in the Roman Catholic Church to um, to to uh, what's the word I'm looking for to I guess to, to try and um, take the place of the historicist view that said that the Pope was going to be the Antichrist which you know that's not that's not true at all. Um, that's something that we'll cover in in another series soon. As a matter of fact, um, we've got one more episode in this series um, next Thursday, and then after that, we're we're going to uh, do a series on cults and uh, Freemasonry and other Luciferian secret societies. Uh, last week, while I was still sick and wasn't able to be here, I, I, um, I played an old episode from last year from 
my old program, um, the Church of Philadelphia Project, and in in that episode, um, Brother David Carrico was talking about Freemasonry, and he um, he gave a lot of facts and a lot of information on Freemasonry. Although um, it was a three parts, it was a three part series. Um, I was only able to play the first part, but I got uh, that that episode was very well received, and I got a lot of positive feedback on that episode. More this time when I played it last week than when it originally aired on the Church of Philadelphia project. It was received better here on Serpents and Doves, and. Um, and that's why I'm going to uh, start a series after after this one on. It's gonna the first episode will be on Freemasonry, but the entire series will be on the the cults that are around today, the Luciferian secret societies and religions that go all the way back to the ancient mystery religions of the ancient times and I'm going to do my best to see if I can get um, David Carrico or another I, I know quite a bit of uh, experts on the occult and Freemasonry and I'm going to try to see if I can get one of them to come on um the program for that episode, and next week, in the last episode of Paganizing Christianity, um, I'm, I'm going to do my best. I've, I've asked uh, Brother Jeremy Stone if he will come on the program, and I believe he's going to. Um, I, I know that he has his own program. I don't know if it's a radio program or a podcast, but I know um, that he, he does his own program. I think it's called uh, Stone Cold Truth. And I don't know if he'll be able to to come on Serpents and Doves Radio or not um, doing his other program and working. So, you know, I don't know if he'll be available or not, but I'm going to try to get him to come on next week's episode. And we're going to have a dialogue and discuss all the things that we've talked about and the first, second, and this, the third episode of Paganizing Christianity. But, uh, back to the, back to the subject at hand, which is the church, and, um, you know, Satan, through the, the Roman emperors and the Roman government, he, he tried to utterly destroy the church, and, the second the second persecution of the church was it was called the great persecution and it was decreed by the emperor's second in command he he is the one who decreed this persecution of the church the church was illegal and Christianity was deemed a evil practice and it was condemned and this this great persecution lasted for 
eight long years, and Christians were ordered out of public office, and scriptures were confiscated and burned, church buildings were destroyed, the leaders were arrested and tortured, and made to offer pagan sacrifices, and if they wouldn't, then they they would kill them. Um, they had to offer the pagan sacrifices under the penalty of death, but... Even though the Christians were mercilessly tortured and killed in the attempt to destroy the church, every bit of this was to no avail because the faith of the Christians of the second century church was so strong and so consistent that the church could not be intimidated or destroyed no matter how much it was persecuted. And the second century church, I mean, it, it truly thrived during the second century. The gospel of Christ was proclaimed by the church all over the known world in the second century. But, unfortunately, the church was still being attacked. And, you know, when the, per when the pagan... Uh, Roman emperors failed to destroy the church through violence and torture. Um, you know, the enemy who was really behind the the Roman leaders, the men. You know, he, the enemy tried a different approach, and the same antichrist spirit that is prevalent in the world today and comes from our enemy Satan and has been around since the beginning, you know, it was that Antichrist spirit that was behind the persecution of the church by Rome. And when the church endured this persecution, the enemy changed tactics from persecution to infiltration. And first, the there were Gnostic heretics that were the first to infiltrate and try to mislead believers. Um, Christian Gnosticism was founded by a man by the name of Valentinus. And Valentinus pretended to be a Christian and he infiltrated the church and he <laughs> he almost became he, he almost was elected the Bishop of Rome, which would have been the Pope. The Bishop of Rome was the Pope. And he was almost elected the Bishop of Rome. But after he was not elected the Bishop of Rome, he drifted into open heresy. Um, but he was teaching the Gnostic homely gospel of truth that he was credited with writing, and this this Gnostic writing taught um, it taught dualism, and also incorporated sexual acts into worship. And Valentinius uh, he desired to present himself um, as having apostolic authority for his teaching. And he claimed that he received all his instruction from a follower of the Apostle Paul named Theodos. But, um, like I said, uh, after 
he was almost elected the Bishop of Rome and drifted into the open heresies he was teaching, um, he was cast out of the church as a heretic. Uh, but there were other Gnostics, other Gnostic writings and Gnostic teachers and uh, false Gnostic gospels that tried to get into the church. And Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis and it means hidden knowledge. And Gnostic doctrine taught that the world was created by an evil lesser god called the Demiurge. Um, and that Christ was an emissary of the remote supreme divine being who gave the chosen, which of course was the Gnostics, um, he gave the chosen Gnostics the esoteric knowledge that enabled the redemption of the human spirit. And through the Gnostics, Satan was employing the same old deception, the same deception that he used in the garden. And that is that through knowledge, one can become like God. And we know that that is a lie. And when Gnosticism failed, um, you know, the enemy was far from finished with trying to infiltrate and destroy the church. Um, the Emperor Constantine, uh, in the mid-third century, um, I think it was like 325 A.D., like the mid-third century, he, um, legalized Christianity. He claimed to be a Christian. And he he was the leader of... He was not just the emperor of Rome, but he was the leader of the church, the Pope, the self-declared Pope. But the church recognized him. And this is where Catholicism began. And the Council of Nicaea was in... Uh, I think like 325, I may be a little off on the exact date, but it was in the mid-3rd century A.D. And at the Council of Nicaea, that's where the, the changes that took place inside the church happened. That is where um, the Sabbath day the seventh day, which was always worshipped and observed by Jesus Christ and also by the apostles and the early church worshipped and taught on the Sabbath, the seventh day. And it was at the Council of Nicaea when the, the Catholic bishops as well as the head of the church the you might as well say the new holy roman emperor um, because the pope has all the roman empire did not uh go away it was not destroyed it was transformed from the the rome of jesus's time and before christ's time to the the 
the Roman Catholic Church, um, and the Roman Empire still exists and in, in power today. And the Vatican City is a state unto itself. Um, it, it, it is sovereign, and it has its own police force, its own laws, and it is right this second led by a Jesuit. And, you know, the, the Catholic Church and the changes that were made at Nicaea um, they they had such an impact on the doctrine of Christianity and what the church believed and still believes. Um, worship was changed to Sunday because for the same reason that the Christian Passover, because that's what was celebrated after Christ died and rose again, the the Passover had been celebrated before then. Um, the Last Supper that we uh, see in the Gospel was the Passover meal, and after Christ died, he well he was our Passover Lamb, and the 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 early church. Um, they celebrate. They still celebrated the Passover, but they didn't celebrate it the same way as the Jews did. They celebrated the Christian Passover, um, and they celebrated the resurrection of Christ. But they celebrated it on the same day as the Jews celebrated the Passover, and that's because that's what tradition was. That's when it was always celebrated. But instead of celebrating the uh, the Passover that happened in Egypt, they celebrated, and we still should celebrate, Jesus Christ, the ultimate and last Passover lamb. And at the Council of Nicaea, um, Constantine... Uh, he he changed the Passover, the Christian Passover, into the the holiday of Easter, and that was the merging of the pagan festival of Ishtar, which uh, was the worship of the sun god, and. I covered that completely in episode 2, um, so if you can go back and listen to episode 2 to hear about Easter, but the Christian Passover was changed from the Christian Passover, and it, the name was changed to Easter. And it was also, the day it was celebrated was changed from the day that they celebrated, they had been celebrating the Christian Passover, it was changed to Sunday, the the first Sunday um, following the spring equinox, and also Christmas was also 
first celebrated after the Council of Nicaea. Um, the early church, uh, they didn't celebrate the birth of Christ. They celebrated the resurrection of Christ. But the Catholics, they, they wanted to merge the pagan festival of celebrating the birth of the sun god with the celebration of the birth of Yeshua. And also the Sabbath was changed. Constantine wanted to change the day of worship to Sunday because he said that was the day that Christ arose. And that's not even, um, you know, we don't know that for sure. Um, there are a lot of reasons to believe Christ rose on a Sunday, but there are also reasons and arguments to believe that, that he rose on a different day. But either way, that Yeshua rising from the dead on a Sunday does not make Sunday the new Sabbath. If it did, then... You know, Yeshua was on this earth for 40 days after his resurrection. There was plenty of time for him to tell the disciples that the Sabbath day needed to be changed to Sunday. But not once did he say that at all. Not once did any of the apostles teach that the day of worship and the Sabbath should be changed from the seventh day to the first day. And they taught. The apostles taught and preached. Well, a lot of times every day. But they had the worship services on the Sabbath. And they still observed the Sabbath. And we should do the same today. But we don't. The, the majority of Christian churches today... In mainstream Christianity still have the same Catholic practice of worshiping on a Sunday and most people don't even know why you know I'm sure a lot of you listening to this episode have no idea have never even heard this before um, you know a lot of you probably believe that the only people who worship on Saturday are Jews and Seventh-day Adventists. But I'm here to tell you, uh, that's one thing that the Seventh-day Adventists and the Hebrew Roots guys get right, is worshiping on the Sabbath. And also, not celebrating these pagan festivals of Christmas and Easter. Now, I'm not saying we should not celebrate the resurrection of Christ, because we most definitely should. But we should celebrate the Christian Passover as it was celebrated in the first century. Today, the Catholic Church and its influence is so prevalent in mainstream Christianity. But also, the esoteric, occultist, New Age beliefs and doctrines have also taken hold inside of the so-called Christian church. You have movements like the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, and the Word of Faith movement. These 
ultra-charismatic so-called Christian churches, um, you know, like Bethel Church in Redding, California, and uh, you have people like the New Mystics, uh, led by John Crowder, who teach a completely new age blasphemous doctrine and they would not know biblical truth if it slapped them in the face and we need to pray for these people that they would truly find Christ and that the Holy Spirit would burden their hearts because of what they're doing and how they're living. Because a lot of other uh, denominations and other leaders in the church who are a part of churches that are godly and truly strive to serve the Lord, they are unknowingly, because they don't realize the heresies these people believe, they are um, merging with these people. You have uh, you have heretics like Rick Warren uh, who is in the Southern Baptist Association um, teaming up with um, people from the Word of Faith movement and going to conferences and believing and teaching these same esoteric lies. And we have this New Age mysticism. I mean, just look at the name, the New Mystics. I mean, the church in a lot of places are filled with um teachings that are that come straight from Kabbalah and these Kabbalistic teachings are slipped in the church by people infiltrating the church and mixing a lie with truth you know they'll take a little bit of truth and put it with a lie and make it sound believable and mislead people and they're leading people straight to hell folks and we need to pray because we are in the last days friends we are right at the verge of the end we are the remnant and we all need to reach as many people for Yeshua as we possibly can. We need to, of course, we need to um, speak out against and identify these heretical teachers and teachings so that people are not deceived by them, but we also need to pray for these people. If the people of God and the church would all come together as one in prayer and pray for a change to happen in the church, in the body of Christ, we 
would see a change like has never happened before. The awakening that has gone on in America over the past few years that comes from the Christian truther movement, which I am proud to be a part of, the change and the awakening that we've seen there would be nothing compared to the awakening of the church that we would see if we all came to the Father in prayer. If we all came together in agreement and prayed, we would see miracles happen in the church. Guys, I truly hope that you will join me in my prayers for this to happen. And we are coming to the end. We've got less than a minute in this segment. And I want to tell you all that I love you. And I want to let you know that um, I have compiled uh, some, some segments of sermons that are truly, truly going to speak to what's going on in the church today. And what's going on in the world today. And what needs to happen. What's about to happen and what needs to happen. And guys, I love each and every one of you. And after these clips that I've edited together. Falling away to the Antichrist. Now Paul here has outlined two frightful things that will strike the church just prior to the Lord's coming. Jesus said, as Paul said, Jesus will not come until these two awful things happen, and they're going to happen also in the church. Two things. Number one, a great falling away, a great apostasy in the church. Secondly, a spirit of Antichrist overcoming many who are backsliding. A spirit of Antichrist possessing many who are in the church. Now, folks, for years we've been preaching and teaching about the coming Antichrist. And we've been expecting a man, the son of perdition. Some have speculated that that man has already been born, that he's somewhere on the earth now, and perhaps even a man, and soon to take power. Now, is there such a man as an Antichrist? I say, yes, there is a man of Antichrist. He's going to come one day, and he's going to be well-received, and I'll tell you why he's going to be well-received. He's going to be well-received even by many who were Christians, who have been prepared for his coming. And he's going to be revealed, and the only reason he's not revealed now, it's not his time, and the Holy Ghost is holding it back. But one day the Holy Ghost will lift his restraining hand, this man will be revealed, he'll be incarnated by Satan, he will demand and receive the worship of mankind, and then when his work is finished, his time is done, the Bible said he's going to be consumed with the mouth of our Holy God. But there is an Antichrist spirit, just as surely as the spirit of Jesus Christ abides in us. The scripture says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, we have a Christ, a living Christ, who is a man now in glory. He has flesh, he has bone, he has hair, he has eyes. He's a living man because he has still got his manhood, even though he is God. 
He's a man in glory. He is there and we are here, but His Spirit is here. We are living through the Spirit. I live yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Who lives in me? The Spirit of Christ. There is a man, Antichrist. You see, there are two Christs in the world, Jesus Christ the Lord and Antichrist. Antichrist has a spirit. There is a spirit of Antichrist that is even now moving in the world, preparing for the coming of this man. Just as sure as you as a believer have the Spirit of Christ in you, there are people today that are absolutely possessed of the spirit of Antichrist. And I'm going to show you today how, how it is overpowering many churches and that some churches, believe it or not, are directed by the spirit of Antichrist. Paul warns that there is coming false prophets who will preach another gospel and another Jesus. That other Jesus is the Antichrist. And they're going to be of the spirit of Antichrist. And there are going to be many apostate Christians in the last days. But folks, while we've been looking for this man, Satan has been creeping in and by his spirit preparing. So you see, Antichrist is not going to suddenly appear on the scene and try to overwhelm mankind. Antichrist is not going to come and try to influence people. By the time he has come, there will have been first a trickle because Paul the Apostle said that spirit is already at work. It was at work in the primitive church. It's been working now. It's up to a stream. It's up to an ocean flow. And the Bible says by the time the Antichrist is revealed, he will have already prepared the hearts for his coming. They will receive him. How will many receive him? Why would certain so-called Christians, backslidden apostate, ever turn to the Antichrist? Because they're of his body, of his spirit, and like-minded. And he is now in the world preparing hearts to receive him when he comes. And there are some sitting here now, believe it or not, who are going, if should the Antichrist be revealed in our time, are going to quickly, openly receive the Antichrist. Because... You have already had the seed, the spirit of Antichrist planted in your heart, and we'll go on with it here. Paul said, for the mystery of iniquity did already work. It's already at work. The spirit of Antichrist, Paul said, is already at work. He's already moving. He's already taking position. He's already coming into power. I want you to go to 1 John, please. Second chapter. 1 John. 1 John 2, 15. Verse 15, begin to read with me. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. But the world passeth away and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now listen to this. Little children, it is the last time. How many believe that? How many believe this is the last time? Folks, if it was the last time when Paul wrote this, or John wrote this, could you imagine how late it is now? Almost 2,000 years later, how much closer, how more real is this text? Little children, it's the last time. You've heard that Antichrist shall come. Even now there are, what? Many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. It means that there are many that have been infiltrated and possessed by the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist, John is saying, is already moving. It's in many hearts. The spirit of Antichrist. There are many, not, not the man, not many Antichrists, but the spirit of Antichrist in many. <clears throat> now, in this passage, John is telling us those whose hearts are still in love with the world, those who are still bound by lust, have opened themselves to the spirit of Antichrist. 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. It's not of the Father. Who's it of? It's of the Antichrist. And there are many that are still given over to that. I want you to go to verse 22. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is what? Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Look at me, please. Anyone, John is saying, who has not come under the total lordship of Jesus Christ has opened himself to the spirit of Antichrist. If you sit here this morning and he is not Lord of everything in your life, you've given him a portion of your life, you're serving him 90%, but he is not totally Lord in your life. You have denied him. You've denied his Lordship. It's not that you go around cursing his name, but you have denied him. You have not believed to him for full salvation. You have believed and trusted him for half salvation. You are not serving him with all your heart and mind and soul and body. You have opened yourself, according to John, to the inroads, the inmaking of the Antichrist spirited into your heart. This is so very, very clear. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son hath the Son, Father also. It's not just to say, well, I believe Jesus was God in flesh. It's saying, Jesus, you are God in flesh in me, with all power and all authority over lust, over sin and everything else, and I yield to your Lordship. Those who are righteous, who worship God in spirit and truth are the prime targets of the Antichrist spirit. Verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. Look at me please. This spirit of Antichrist is opposed to those who walk closely with the Lord Jesus Christ, those who walk with God in intimacy, and those who are worshippers. This is what the devil is after. This is what the Antichrist wants for himself. And he's going to come against everybody. He's going to come against every true believer who walks in the intimacy of Jesus Christ. He's going to come against you with everything the Antichrist possesses. That spirit, that invading spirit, he's going to come against you and try to attack you and try to get you to stop worshiping. He'll try to stop your intimacy with the Father. He'll try to give you doubt and fear about the advocacy of the cross of Jesus Christ. He will do everything to make inroads to hinder your worship. There's nothing the devil wants in this church more than to worship. To kill and destroy worship. That's what he wants in you more than anything else. He will do anything. He's not out to get you to be a drug addict, an alcoholic, prostitute. He's not trying to get you to lie and steal and curse. He'll do that only if it disturbs your worship. He'll do it only to rob God of his praises. He's after worshipers. And if you're a worshiper, true worshiper, don't be surprised when all the, everything out of hell comes against you. When the Antichrist spirit comes and tries to knock you away. Don't be surprised by it. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God and all that is worship. Paul warns that a spirit of lawlessness is at work in the world and in the church. And we know, and now we know that what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. Verse 6, look at it. Now we know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. What? Who is withholding the Antichrist from taking over the whole nation and the whole world right now? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit who abides in you. Not the Holy Spirit that in some cosmic atmosphere. But the Holy Ghost in the church. The Holy Ghost in you and I. And it's this church and other Holy Ghost church and Holy Ghost people that are holding back the anarchy of hell and Satan in this city. They talk about the crime rate going down or up. Folks, if the Holy Ghost was lifted from this church and other churches, this city would be a raging hell right now. 
because the stench of hell is already in our schools, the stench of hell is in our courts, the stench of hell is in our churches. And can you imagine what it would be if the Holy Ghost begins to step aside and say, be revealed. So Holy Ghost holding back the storm. Once you go to 2 Peter, 2 Peter, 2nd chapter. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Listen to me before you, before you read this. Careless, lazy Christians are going to be overcome. They're not going to be able to stand. You're careless about reading your Bible. You're careless about the things of God today. Folks, the perilous times that are coming, and the, the, the closer, you see, Jesus says, the closer we get to his coming, there's going to be ever-increasing light. And folks, there's ever-increasing revelation, ever-increasing power of the Antichrist is being released by the devil right now before the full revelation of the, of the Antichrist. Because when he comes, he's coming, it's just going to be the last step, like stepping through a piece of tissue paper. It will have all been prepared. The hearts are ready, all prepared for his revelation. He's not going to have to prepare anything. It, the devil will have already prepared it. The spirit of Antichrist will have already accomplished his will. And sadly, many Christians are going to be overcome. I want you to start reading with me verse, the second chapter, second Peter, verse 17. He's speaking to the church and certain ones in the church. These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. But of whom of a man is overcome, the same as he brought into bondage. Now listen to this. For if after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, these people claim to be saved through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that. And then it says, then they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Now folks, listen to me. There are going to be Christians overcome by the spirit of Antichrist that's at work right now. They're going to be overcome. These are those who have escaped the pollutions of the world, who were delivered by the power of God through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But now they've turned aside, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness. They knew the way. They knew the way of righteousness. Then, after they have known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it's happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog has turned to his own vomit again. The sow that was washed to her own wallowing in the mire. How many, look at me please. How many do you know who turned away from God? And they're going back to their old habits. They've gone back to the old world. Folks, I'm going to tell you, you don't just backslide. You don't just fall away from the Lord. Now, he has to be talking about the church because what does the sinner have to fall away from? He can't fall away from anything. He's already in the pit. The only falling away are those who had something. You don't just fall away from Jesus. You fall into something. It's not just a falling away. It's falling into. You fall away from Christ and you fall into the spirit of Antichrist. No one simply backslides. It's a falling into something, falling into the spirit that's in the world trying to take control. Now, folks, listen to me. John proves that the spirit of Antichrist is powerfully at work in the church. I want you to go to 1 John 4 now. 1 John 4. Verse 3. And every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that, what? 
spirit of Antichrist. That's what I've been talking about. Whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now, what? It's in the world. It's in the world now. John said, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. You heard a man is going to come and be worshipped. But he said, wake up. That spirit is already at work. And he's talking to the church. That spirit is already here. The spirit of Antichrist is at work. Even now, already in the world, that spirit of Antichrist. Go back to 2 Thessalonians 2.4. So that, verse 4, who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, folks, look at me. Quit looking to Jerusalem. Quit looking to the rebuilding of the temple where this man is going to come in and set himself up. He's already on the throne. He's already in his temple. You say, what, what is the temple? What is the temple? Go to 1 Corinthians, 3rd chapter. Did you know he was going to sit in the temple of God and show himself to be God? How many know that? He said he's, he's going to be revealed. He's going to sit in the temple of God and show himself to be God. All right, 1 Corinthians, 3rd chapter, verse 16. Know you not that you are what? The temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Go to chapter 6. Familiar scripture, but I want to show you something. Verse 19, what? Know you not that you're, this is 6, 19 of 1 Corinthians. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Go to 2 Corinthians 6. Do you want to establish this well in your mind? You're familiar with it? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their people, and they shall be my people. Look at me, please. How can such an incredible, awful, frightful thing happen that at one time the living God sat on his throne, ruling and reigning in a vessel? How is it now that the Holy Ghost has departed and that temple, that throne of the heart has been vacated through lust, through pride, through covetousness, through gossip, through slander, through all of the things that we've been warned about time after time after time. How is it that we, as many Christians who have grown careless, who don't walk righteously before him anymore, and how is it that the spirit of Antichrist has moved in now and taken over and according to this second Thessalonians, the second chapter, he now sits in his temple, show himself to be God. In other words, he is in control. He is absolutely in control. There is always going to be a Christ on your throne. I don't care where you are, serving Jesus or serving the old, there will always be a Christ on this throne. It will either be Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, or the Antichrist. There will be a Christ. Every man walking these streets has a Christ on his throne. We know the Antichrist is in full control of the secular media. All secular television, theater, all the networks, all the printed material, all now are under the control of the spirit of Antichrist. Well, who but Antichrist could so bias the American press 
and so biased the editors and the writers and the actors so that abortion is called a right rather than a sin. Who but the Antichrist could justify now euthanasia? Did you hear recently, uh, read in the newspaper, a psychiatrist now in the United States who believes in euthanasia, killing off the old and infirm? He's willing to kill off anybody who's mentally ill. Who but Antichrist is a killer? Kill off the old and the infirm. It, we ought to be shocked here in the United States because in the Philippines and in Asia, they honor and they revere their old folks. Those who are old, they're revered. Here, we want to kill them. Who but the spirit of Antichrist could be behind it? Who but Antichrist could mock everything that's sacred and holy and worshipped and filthy movies and wicked, vile programs on television? The Antichrist is producing MTV. Literally, the Antichrist spirit is in full control of Fox television. I, I read, I don't watch that stuff because I don't have television, but... MTV, from what I read, and Fox Television, in a newspaper, you just look at some of the reviews and some of the absolute filth. Who but the Antichrist? Who but the spirit of Antichrist could be behind it? And folks, he's getting bolder and bolder. Our society's on the brink of becoming a raging hell. But sadly, that same Antichrist spirit is moving rapidly into the church of Jesus Christ. We talk about the gates of hell not prevailing against the church. But folks, you've got to know that he's talking about a certain church, an overcoming holy remnant church. He's not talking about that great church mess that's out there being ruled and reigned by the spirit of Antichrist. He's talking about a particular church called out from the world. Only that church will prevail. The gates of hell will not touch that church. But I'm telling you right now, all over the United States, the spirit of Antichrist is absolutely establishing churches. That's exactly what this new uh, outsider-friendly gospel is all about. Who but the Antichrist would go out door to door and knock on doors and say, Do you go to church? No. Well, what would you like your church to be like so we could get you to come? And based on a survey of what people want, they don't want sermons, so they have skits. They don't want two hours, they want one hour. And they want no conviction. And so what we have now is another gospel with no cross, no repentance, no judgment. But you are allowed to sit there and be soothed in your sins. And you are told about the grace and the mercy of God. But nothing of his judgment, nothing of hell, nothing but heaven and mercy and grace has become a license to sin. Oh, but the Antichrist would build a church on a survey. What would you think if I went out, I went out in the streets and I found all the kids that are playing hooky from school and they don't go to school. You say, well, what kind of school would you like? So I'll build a school that you would like, but you tell me what you want in a school. You know, we have two hours a day, three days a week, one to three o'clock, no lectures, 15 minutes, no algebra, no calculus, no science. And we want nothing but pizza and snacks for noon. And we want no lectures. We want no laws, no rules. We want to come and go as we please. We want no grades. We could have the biggest school in New York and every dropout would run. I could go all over, write books and tell everybody about the successful school in New York that was designed on a survey with teenagers dropping out of school. From now, when they've been prepared for nothing, not prepared to live, what are preachers going to do when they stand before the throne of God? And these people have not been prepared for eternity. They don't even have their heart a message on hell. 
never had a reproving message. What's going to happen when those preachers stand before God? It's a damnable thing from the pits of hell. It's the Antichrist spirit. Oh, but Antichrist can tell people they can drink from two cups. The cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. 1 Corinthians 10. I'll tell, I'll tell you something. As long as I'm in this pulpit, there will not be one person. And I know that too with Brother Carter. We will not babysit this people. You're going to hear the heart of God. Those clips from David Wilkerson are truly powerful and they actually sound like when you edit them all together and put them together like that, that it's just one sermon, but I actually took those clips from uh, several different sermons, but the Antichrist spirit, the falling away that is very much alive and in the world today that he was talking about, he was preaching about how the Antichrist spirit has been alive since the time that John wrote the Revelation, and it is definitely very much alive and well in the world and also in the church today uh, just think about the NAR the New Apostolic Reformation and the Word of Faith movement and um, the now Jesuit controlled Roman Catholic Church uh, which is what we've been talking about in this in this series on paganizing Christianity is how the Roman Catholic Church and the Pope has merged paganism with Christianity and because of that you get what we have today in not only the Roman Catholic Church but in uh, Protestant churches and even Messianic Jewish congregations and folks I just uh, I truly hope that you listened and heard everything that we talked about here today and I pray that you learned from it and that the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart this entire series it, it's not to to make anybody angry or to cause division or to even um, cause anybody necessarily to to stop celebrating the pagan holidays that we call Christian, but it's more so that the truth can be revealed to the body of Christ. That was my goal, to open people's eyes to what is going on and what these things are all about and let the Holy Spirit tell each individual what he or she should or should not do and I truly hope that everybody understands that because that that's was all I was trying to do I was not trying to cause division um, I have absolutely nothing but love for everyone in and out of the body of Christ, and I, I truly, truly have a heart 
for God's people. And guys, that's all the time that we have here tonight on Serpents and Doves Radio. I am going to close us in a word of prayer and that will end this episode of Serpents and Doves Radio. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you now and I just thank you so much for all your many blessings. I thank you for allowing me to have this ministry platform so that I can reach people not only in this area and in this country, but in a lot of countries, Father. And I thank you so much for everyone who has tuned in and listened, and I pray that you just do a mighty work in each and every one of their lives. I pray that you speak to their hearts and open their minds and show them in the way that you would have them go, Father. Father, I thank you so very much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world so that we may be forgiven of our sins and also be able to come back to you, Father. And Lord, I pray that you will bless each and every person who can hear my voice now. And Father, I love you and I thank you once again for all that you have done and all that you are going to do in my life and in in and through this ministry. And it's in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua, my Savior, I pray and ask these things. Amen.